3: Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast everybody. Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. Please take a listen to Gravity's new podcast. Yeah?
4: What else you got to do this week?
3: Nothing. This is yeah. it. I mean, most of us now, all the kids, well, the kids have been home for 10 months anyway, but now, you know, the kids have nothing to do. <laughs> oh, home,
4: home, home, without, home. Uh, without the pressure of e-learning.
3: Yeah. And so if you're like me, you have two little kids, you get to sit around all day and listen to podcasts. Not at all what I'm doing, but mm. that's, I sometimes fantasize about what would my life be like if my um, kids were uh, able to occupy themselves <laughs> with things that didn't constitute C minus upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, speaking of that, speaking of things I daydream about, I was listening to a podcast this morning on magic mushrooms as a treatment for anxiety and depression.
4: Yeah, I've heard about this. Ma- magic mushrooms, meaning like, uh, what, what's the?
3: Psycho, psilocybin. Psilocybin. That's what it is. Psilocybin. Psilocybin. They're doing all these studies about uh, people who are going on these doctor meditated, like mega, they call them hero doses. <laughs>
4: That's funny.
3: <laughs> they call the dose hero dose, which is like three times the amount that you would like take if you were using it recreationally. And they they uh, they dope these people up with ma- oh, dope is the wrong word. They uh, dose these people up dose. with magic mushrooms, and um, some of them instantly no longer have anxiety. So weird. Um, real quick, they just well, the one thing I thought about that was super fascinating. They take these in labs; they'll take like brain cells. Uh-huh. And they'll they'll put the brain cell in a solution of the psilocybin, uh-huh. and what happens is the psilocybin uh, uh, activates that brain cell to create new brain cells. Wow! So they've never they haven't they haven't witnessed this in human brains yet, but they've done it in lab uh, petri dishes, as they call them. Uh, that's uh-huh. insider language, and also mice, as they're called <laughs> for science people. Um, and yes. in mice and in labs, uh, psilocybin produces the replication of new brain cells. That's so, crazy, man. So there's actual data to point towards the possibility that it rewires your brain. Here's the only problem, though, Ben.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, it's a class A drug, meaning like if, you get, if, you're, if, the, if the cops pull you over and you have your 20 grams of magic mushrooms on you, you're going mm-hmm. to prison for a long time. Yeah, that is a problem. So don't get any fancy ideas, young man.
4: Yep. Okay, fine. Not, not going... I won't go there. Right. It's, uh, it's fascinating, though, um, that we have uh, criminalized... I mean, there could be a whole uh, series of podcasts on that, yes. right? Yes. So, Thank you, War on uh, Drugs. This yeah. is directly
3: from the hippie culture, LSD, psilocybin, and the yeah. people who engineered the war on drugs as a weapon let the listener yeah. understand, mm-hmm. wanted to win the culture war against hippies yeah. because they threatened the... Oh, man. Here we go. I'm there now. Because <laughs> the hippies threatened white male patriarchy. Yeah. And the war on drugs was one of the political tools used to yeah. win that war, to wage that war. They didn't win it. <laughs> no. They waged it. And that's, anyway. Um, that's, that's why
4: we can't have magic mushrooms. The
3: tragic sham mockery of this whole thing, Ben, is that alcohol... Mm-hmm is uh, actually addictive whereas uh, psilocybin isn't and yeah you, you can actually overdose and die from alcohol and you can't from psilocybin um and it 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 costs us billions of dollars a year alcohol is like uh from a damage standpoint one of the worst drugs to take
4: yeah but it's it's uh but it's, it's completely legal. acceptable
3: completely acceptable yeah whereas things like psilocybin uh, lsd to a lesser extent even marijuana actually uh, I don't think it's really hard to overdose on marijuana too. Right. uh they cost way less money uh to treat the yeah. damage of. Yeah. Uh it could be though that they're not as uh widespread, but yeah. Anyway.
4: Anyway, this uh this, this was podcast, a little excursus. This is yeah, yeah. This is a little Do you excursus. Know, yeah, why why did why did you excurse us in that direction? Matt? Why did I bring was, that there, up? was there a reason?
3: Well, uh we're talking to Mark Alan Shelsky today. Hmm. Uh, and that guy just injects psilocybin right into his neck every every morning. No, <laughs> Mark. Sorry, no. Mark. No, Mark does not. But that Mark actually, Mark. Uh, we're talking about uh, Mark with his book about emotions uh, yeah. today, and uh, it's a bit like a, the connection for me was um, we we don't really understand quote the heart. Yeah. We don't understand how that works mm-hmm. right because we know the heart is actually just another way of talking about the mind
2: right
4: yeah right it's yeah, a metaphor not to a, talk about the mind yeah there's not a super <laughs> clear delineation like we think there is between no. our thoughts and our emotions Really, no there's yeah. not yeah.
3: um and i was just i was i was thinking this morning about how oh one other thing that psilocybin does sorry mark we're gonna get to your interview one of the things psilocybin does is it it actually uh calms the amygdala it like just goes, shh, 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 yeah. To your, which to your is your f- fight or flight, yeah,
4: or freeze or fawn.
3: Well, if you have anxiety and depression, uh, a lot of it's some of it's due to an overactive. Yeah. Scientists think amygdala. Yeah. So, uh, but we don't understand how all this works. No. And um, I was talking to someone yesterday, a friend who's got these desires for things, and he's scared it's going to ruin his ministry because these desires are not some. If these desires actually um, become reality, it will, he'll, he'll hurt people he loves and he'll lose everything that he cares about. Hmm. And he was saying, I don't know how to change this stuff. I don't know how to, you know, and so there's this, this is, there's this undiscovered country perhaps like this sub, the subterranean world that we don't traverse or understand very well. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mark's book actually is one of the resources that I think helps us begin to reckon with it and reclaim it as Mm
1: -hmm.
3: a domain of knowledge and a domain of spiritual formation and discipleship.
4: Yes. Yeah, he talks a lot about, I mean, a lot of the the myths, um, you know, speaking of uh, the patriarchy, (laughs) like a lot of the ways that we've been shaped and formed into what we think of as good leadership is to ignore or shut off your emotions so that you can, quote, think rationally. You know, quote unquote. Um, but uh, you know, he points out that in fact, that is um, wrong. You have it's wrong uh, because we're always acting emotionally, um, <laughs> and we have to you, we have to pay attention to that uh, because it actually is trying to tell us something. Our hearts are trying to tell us something. So his book is called "The Wisdom of Your Heart: Discovering the God Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions." So there's yeah. uh, there's gold here uh, for leaders who uh, maybe like your friend are trying to figure out what's going on underneath the surface. Um, how do I get access to this stuff without it ruining my life? Yeah, <laughs> right. That's the fear for a lot of us is like yeah. uh, this, this stuff, what, what happens if it gets out of control? Um, so anyway, that's why like, therapy is awesome. That, that really helps a lot of times. Um, but also yes. just the basic, form, the basic spiritual formation process of uh, getting in touch with what's actually happening in our hearts, getting in touch with our actual emotions, where we're feeling them in our body, being able to name them as uh, helpful information, as knowledge that our bodies are trying to tell us something. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't have to push those away. But yeah. We can notice them calmly. So maybe,
3: maybe we can come in to you if you were thinking about go buying some Schedule A drugs today. Maybe start with Mark's book, Yep. That helps. It's
4: fully legal. It's fully Mark's legal. Mark's book is completely legal. You won't get and... pulled
3: over and thrown in prison. <laughs> It'll you be... also I can I can attest yeah. that I had no hallucinations as I read this. So
4: <laughs> Yeah. No, it's it's great. It's a really good book. Uh Mark's a great guy. Enjoy the interview. Yeah.
3: Mark Shelsky, welcome to the podcast.
5: Thank you very much for having me.
3: I like that right out of the gate. Boom, boom, boom. Mark we're there. We're talking about a book Mark wrote today, uh, on our emotions. He wrote it all today. He wrote it well earlier today, then he got it <laughs> edited. And now we're now Incredible. we're gonna we're gonna sh- we're gonna shoot it down. No, we're He's gonna prolific
4: as, talk- <laughs> as NP <laughs> right.
3: Right. Uh, no, Mark's written a book about our heart, about emotions, and we're in this series on leadership and Uh, You know, if you're familiar with Gravity, this is near and dear to our heart, no pun intended. Mm -hmm. Before we jump into this, Mark, would you just give us an introduction, who you are, what you spend your time doing, and where you do it?
5: Okay. Um, I am a pastor in Portland, Oregon. Um, I actually am a church that's uh, led by a plurality of elders, so we don't use the title pastor, but that describes what I do as far as most people are aware of what the the work looks like. Um, I've been in vocational ministry for 25 years. And, um, in the course of that 25 years, um, 18, almost 20, probably close to 20 now of those years has been at the same church. Hmm. And Hmm. in the course of those 20 years, that church has been four different churches and I've been four different pastors. Wow! And that, uh, is the, that is the shortest narration of the journey that the wisdom of your heart is ultimately about.
3: That's, that's a whole, well, it sounds like it's related to this book, but I'm, I want to, I mean, I want to just say like your story of your church is like a whole nother podcast. <laughs>
4: yeah. Mm, <laughs> sounds right? like it. is. Right
3: yeah. Well, uh, maybe we could jump in here. Um, you wrote this book about the centrality and importance of our emotions as a, as a leader. How did that become important to you? When in your story did you realize you better get friendly with your emotions?
5: Well, I think like, for many of us, uh, you know, th- when my back was up against the wall, um, the the short version of my story is that I um, I have a lot of uh, ingredients in the stew of who I am that lead me to be a great performer. Um, I'm first child. I'm uh, adopted. Uh, type A personality. Um, I, all the all the indicators of somebody who's going to work hard, who's going to invest myself heavily, who believes fundamentally, fundamentally in my heart that if you give me enough time, I can do. I can solve any problem by working mm. hard enough. Yes. Mm. And uh, I grew up in a church community that was uh, very. Uh, head oriented, and that fit with my temperament. So I got a lot of affirmation being someone who was able to do church well, right? Study the Bible and talk theology and, and, manage mo- the the sort of exterior ethics and morals of my life in a in a pretty good way you know like i was a good church kid pastor's son grew up in the community got a lot of affirmation for doing all of that well
3: buddy this and- is a this is a cocktail for like a church disaster <laughs> like what you're describing is like all the pieces that you would frankenstein together to make like a you know anyway i don't want to ruin Punched onto your story. But I, I'm just noticing like a lot of elements from your story show up in a lot of pastors
5: who yep. who actually hit a wall. Well, that's exactly the case. We very rarely understand why we get into the work that we get into. And yeah. it's not very many seminary programs that ask you to inquire about your your inner heart's journey and why you ended up where you are. And so of course as you predict, I ended up uh you know sort of high powered productive ministry, uh, you know, effective young ministry, youth pastor, administrative pastor, worship leader, getting lots of accolades, ended up being invited to be senior pastor too early in my story mm. and you know mm. we were doing it all, we were doing everything The way it was supposed to be done, you know, effective home groups and great ministry on the stage and, and programs that were compelling and all of that stuff was happening. And the exterior metrics of what good ministry and good church are supposed to look like they were being, they were being ticked off. But what was happening Mm -hmm. inside was that I was living on interior soul credit, I wasn't attentive mm. to what was happening in my own heart. I hadn't dealt with some stuff in my story that was really painful, traumatic experiences. I had learned, and this was part of that cocktail, I'd learned to manage uh, anxiety and uncertainty through control, yes. which mm-hmm. is part of what made me a great pastor.
3: Ugh. Yeah, that's the irony.
0: You get right?
5: rewarded. You get rewarded exactly. for your antipathy. Right, so everything that I'm doing in yeah. in managing the structure of this church and in leading volunteers and in and in uh, you know helping program our church services, all that's working because fundamentally it it was tied to something in my heart that was about avoiding discomfort for other people. Yeah. Like if I can make them feel good, if I can make them leave feeling like this was wonderful. They'll think wonderful things about me. I'll be Mm. okay. But everything Mm. I just described to you was completely unconscious to me. Yeah. I had no idea. If you had talked to me 15 years ago, I would, I couldn't have even had this conversation with you
2: Mm. because
5: I had no idea how much. My inner stuff that was untended to was shaping the way that I was doing ministry, that I was relating to my wife. Eventually, yeah. when we had kids, that I was relating to my kids. And that's what led to what was ultimately kind of my crash that put me in the position where emotions were urgently important for me to learn about. Because mm. I got to the place where it was so, there was so much pressure interiorly. Is that a word? There was so much pressure in my inner life that it was just bursting out and I was doing harm to people around me and I had, I had no control over it. I couldn't see it.
0: Mm.
3: So, wow. uh, what you're naming sometimes is described as like people pleasing. Is that how you name that?
5: Yeah. Like- um, i I never thought that it was people pleasing. I would have I would have been offended if you used that label because to me that would have been like oh i'm I'm you know just sort of being blown by the wind and doing whatever other people want, which is not true of me. I'm a man of strong opinions. Mm-hmm. But what was happening within me is I was preemptively pleasing people, right? I was mm. in my marriage. One of the things that we had to attend to was that I had a realization partway through my recovery process that I spent a lot of energy managing my wife's emotions. Yes. So that I could feel okay about myself. Yes. Which is mm. terrible manipulation. <laughs> right. But it, it allowed me to create a semblance of a happy or perhaps a better word is more peaceful marriage. Yeah. Because I was trying to do things in advance to mm-hmm. manage how she felt, not so that she would feel good ultimately, but so that I wouldn't have to deal with conflict.
3: Yes.
4: Yeah. And and the, I think the 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 double trap or triple trap, I don't even know how, how many traps were on triple there. Triple trap. There's a there's a there's a whole bunch of traps. And one of them is that all of the work you described uh, see, can be sort of seen as loving to anticipate Absolutely. your wife's needs, you know, that, like that's, that can see you having. have such
3: a servant's heart, Mark. It's exactly. Right. So heart, right. centered.
5: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Church so, is so, growing. It's, so it's piles and piles of Jesus laden affirmation. You're mm-hmm. doing all the right things. Right. Yeah. But all of this is, is an exterior armor. Yeah, that is that is making it more and more impossible to face to deal with what's going on inside and the tool set that I was given growing up in the kind of church that I grew up in was things like, well, when you feel that you just need to bring it to God, you just need to release Mm. it to God, you just need to have more faith. Uh, When Mm. you're feeling those those when that anxiety is rising, that means you're not trusting God. And so you need to get back in your word and you need to be praying more and you need to be doing all of these things. And Mm. so I was given a set of sort of spiritual uh, band-aids that could be used to help kind of paper over the feelings of discomfort. I was never, ever given a model for how to look at that anxiety or the fear or the brokenness within me and attend to it. Never. It was not a part of our conversation.
3: Yeah. This yeah. is the part this is the part of your story in your book that aligns so well with what we do. Cause wh- what you're describing is we 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 talk we talk about the the ways we learn religiously to deal with our feelings or emotions. Yeah. We either try to fight them with throw, throw some fighter verses at them, you know, we try yeah. to make them go uh, away. Yeah, we, we run away from them, flee from them, right? Just ignore mm-hmm. them, stick your fingers in your ear. Or we we fall into them and we just completely are overwhelmed by them and they become sort of who we are, right? So we over-identify right. with our feelings. What you're describing is facing your feelings, like letting them be and and like facing right. them. How did you learn how to do that?
5: Like uh, t- well— So um, the the short version of that story is that I had two friends in my life who were probably about the only people who really had any vision into what was happening in my interior world. Both Mm -hmm. of them were trauma survivors, so they understood what was happening from their perspective. One of them was a trauma therapist, and so he was trained. And both of them as friends were able to say to me, like the path that you're on right now is gonna kill you. You oh, wow. you don't have the tools to solve this. Like your skill set is give me the tools, I'll fix the problem. Yeah. You cannot work your way out of working too much. <laughs> you cannot, you cannot right. do it. Wait, There's- wait. If I
4: if I just work a little harder ben, though, right? Ben, ben, if I work listen- smarter.
1: Ben, if listen
5: I to Mark. Listen to Mark. Right. Yeah. So that was every year, right? That was my struggles. Like, well, this year I'll evaluate my schedule and I'll tweak some things and I'll delegate these tasks off to these other people. And I was constantly just moving around the deck chairs on the sinking ship. And these guys said to me, look, the path that you're on is end of your marriage, end of your ministry, maybe even your own death. You have to get off this path. And that requires someone outside your head. And that was the thing that was immediately terrifying because as someone mm. who had built this armor, I, yeah. I grew up in a church community where we all collaborated with each other's lies of perfection. I, we had an agreement in church that I won't call out your stuff if you don't call out my stuff, right? Right. We all struggle. Yeah. That's how it is. We're not going to talk about that Not like an explicit
4: agreement, but but there was <laughs> this implicit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't it sign that contract. It yeah. wasn't
5: in the membership covenant. No, the opposite. <laughs> in fact, like this is the reason that the collaboration was required, because I lived in a legalistic community, and we actually did have explicit yeah. standards that everyone had to live up to, both in terms of belief and practice. But the truth was, most of us didn't or couldn't. And, yeah, so right. and so, because we had this community defined by doing the right thing, if it turns out that you're not doing or believing the right thing, the consequence of that is grave. You are yeah, out of the community. You're out, right?
3: Yeah, there's people right now listening to this podcast who just swerved off the road and went over a guardrail <laughs> because, they, like, this is the story of so many well-meaning, serious churches because right. they want to take sin seriously, and want to take Jesus seriously, and take it so seriously that nobody can. Ever live up to this standard? Right. Well, they can't live up to God's standard, right? And the theology is then wrapped around how do you appease God who's always mm. ang- angry at you? But then you also can't live up to the human standard of not being able to live right. to God's standard, and so it drives everything underground. Right, everything gets suppressed, repressed, and everybody projects. You know right. how you doing? Better than I deserve. Hey, big shooter, how are you? You know what I mean? Right. If I was any better? I'd be dead. You know what I mean? Right. And, and you've got this whole show, this Christian show. Yeah. Of yep. being of being nicer smarter kinder than everybody else and inside we are whitewashed tombs.
5: Yeah mm. right that's exactly right And I don't think in most cases it's malicious. I don't think people are no. trying to pretend no, no. I think it's I think it's what happens when two tectonic plates collide and mm. one of those is our fundamental need for belonging and yes. the other is our uh, uh, the uh, standards of our community. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if mm-hmm. if if the cost of me belonging is that I can't attend to these things, I can't pay attention to them. I will not pay attention to them every time right. because belonging is what matters most. I need to feel like there is a safe place. And so wow. we create that safe place inside walls of denial. And, mm-hmm. and that's where we end up as a church. That's where I ended up as a pastor. And so I yes. wasn't, I wasn't being a hypocrite at least not intentionally. I wasn't trying to pull one over on people and and live a double life. I was just caught in this bind where I could not look at what was real in my heart because to do so meant accepting that I wasn't acceptable in the sight of this community or inside of God. And and then I lived that for 20 years.
4: It was an existential threat to look at your emotions. Yes. Exactly right. Yeah, it's so exactly how it right. felt anyway.
3: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So you, so you come by this honestly. You know, you're just trying to survive, and you don't want to lose your community. Uh, yeah. And and most of us, like you're saying, we we'd much rather live in our heads because we can control things and outcomes, and yeah. we have the illusion of being, you know, God, rather than the scary, you know, world of our emotions, which is like this, yeah. you know, there be dragons. Right. Um, is you, you talk in the book about. This dichotomy between, and maybe it's not a dichotomy, but sort of this tension between rationality and emotionality, and how a lot of Christian traditions have privileged rationality uh, at the expense of our, our emotional life or feeling life. Um, do you think it's due to these dynamics you're talking about or is there more is there more to it than even that?
5: Uh, I think my, my, my guess, is that it is a complicated mix of several factors. I think one is that uh, we're children of the enlightenment. Um, I think therefore I am is kind of the creed of modernistic uh, views of the world, including spirituality. And so even Christianity, as it reacted to the enlightenment, tried to create an alternate science, Right. So Hmm. instead of defending ourselves against the new things that were being discovered in science, you know, like evolution and some of these other things, instead of defending, which some of the church did, the church then tried to create an alternative kind of science that we could talk about God and reality in the same types of language. That's where we develop systematic theology. Right. Yeah. Systematic theology is our attempt to make spirituality into science. Hmm. And the reality is that the human the human being is not a bifurcated being of different compartments, right? Yes, your brain has two lobes. Yes, but you do not have a right brain and a left brain. You are a whole person who is made up of a variety of systems that work together in different ways. And that, that shows in this conversation that we've privileged the idea that there's a thinking part of my brain that is hmm. more objective, more right, uh, more, uh, capable of seeing through the, yes. the tendrils of a problem. And that, that part of my brain is superior and in Christianity, more spiritual than this back part of my brain that is, uh, reactive and emotional and, um, you know, m- intuitive um all that kind of stuff right and so we've created a bifurcation and so it, the idea then becomes implicitly in some places explicitly in a lot of churches that the more spiritual you become the more rational you will be yeah. the more like jesus you become the less rocked by emotion you will be uh, and eventually as you attain to great levels of spiritual maturity you will never feel emotional discomfort Uh, or if you do, you will have the practice of being able to hand that emotional discomfort off to God so immediately that you really, practically speaking, never feel it.
3: Yeah. I'm thinking of the, uh, like the 1960s Jesus movies where Jesus sort of walks around as this stoic philosopher, just no facial expressions, no vocal inclinations. And, but that's the, that's the epitome of spiritual maturity, uh, and you're 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 wanting to push back on that. You've got this great mm. section where you talk about the four ways the Christian map of emotions is wrong. And you you mentioned one of them, like the the more godly I become, the less emotional I'll be. Right. Um. So what would you what would you contend then? How do we re-script that lie? What like what what's the reality that that myth obscures?
5: Oh, great question. I think a number of things get obscured. I think first off, um, it puts us in a position of almost sort of becoming Gnostic about our human nature, right? That, that thinking is what Mm. matters most. That right thinking is what God cares about most. And that right thinking is in fact the thing that will save us, whether we're talking about Mm. me wanting to overcome some habit in my life. If I can just get the right thinking implanted in my mind, that'll fix that problem. Or if we're Mm. talking about salvation, that the thing that God ultimately matters is that you have a set of postulates in your mind that are worded (laughs) in the correct way. And you've said, yes, I agree with these, check the terms and conditions, and that that's the thing God cares about. Right. And yet, Mm. The, the reality is that we are embodied beings. Uh, we are not a tiny rational splinter of thought being carried around in a meat sack. We are embodied beings. God made us that way. Uh, the Hebrew heritage of our faith is embodied kind of faith where things yes. like the earth and our connection to the earth and breath and blood, these things matter. And so the consequence is that Christianity becomes more and more um, uh, intellectualized uh, and it discounts all of the reality of who, who we are, right? Yes. We, that mm. we, that we, that feelings, feelings are not in Christian in, in sort of one Christian worldview. Feelings are not, Uh, sort of the incrustation of the fall and that, and that when God frees us, when God makes us new that we will no longer have feelings. Like, like how does, how did we even get that idea? Like we have this story that in eternity, we will be gathered around the throne of the creator God of the universe, joyfully singing praise. How does that scenario happen? If no one is feeling anything.
3: Hmm. That's a good
4: question. We'll just do it because we know it's the right thing to do. Mark. But,
5: but, but, but okay. yeah, right. Right. But, but so you say that, so you say that, right. And so much of Christian Christian theology is built on that exact piece of feedback. That's true. Just That's do true. the thing because it's the right thing, but ask your yeah. wife, ask your wife, how valuable to her mm. are the roses that you buy just because it's the right thing for husbands to do?
3: Yes. Right. How meaningful are those just, yeah. roses? Yeah. yeah.
5: Maybe yeah. they're nice to have in the house. But if those roses don't carry a real evocative connection, they're just Mm -hmm. dead flowers.
2: That's right. Right? This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so, too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy.
3: Yeah, I want to reset some important things you've said because I don't want us to lose these uh, this this brilliant stuff as we talk quickly. The first thing is is that there's the myth that emotions are more fallible than our reason, mm. and and that's not true, right? Like um, whether or not you believe in total depravity, if it's true, then your your reason, your rationality is also depraved, um, and emotions aren't in some uh, like basement detention right right (laughs) by god right right uh uh, the, the the second is the more spiritually mature the less emotional you'll be and what you're contending mark why this book is so important is that actually actually there's there's a corollary that the more spiritually mature you get the more your emotions will be fully integrated into who you are you'll be more
5: connected right and whole yeah Yeah. Right. Yeah. So here's, here's a great example of that. We believe as followers of Jesus, like being like Jesus in the world matters and loving like Jesus is important. And as we mature spiritually, we have this idea we toss around that we will maybe become in some ways more like Jesus. And I take that to mean that we'll become more loving. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's the thing, right? If you aren't becoming more compassionate, which is an emotion, you aren't becoming more loving, you can have a checklist of actions that you do towards others that others experience as loving actions, right? You can, you can go out every week and deliver food boxes to families in your community who need food. And that is objectively a loving thing. Yes. Right. Yes. But as you grow spiritually, those food boxes are going to be accompanied by and motivated with a deeper and deeper compassion, compassion to feel with. compassion Mm -hmm. right and as you become more spiritual i think maturity means that that compassion is going to align more with the kind of feeling jesus has you're going to start to Mm. feel what jesus feels not just think what god thinks
3: yeah good so when you talk about emotions and feelings you're talking about attitudes motivations desires uh like as as a larger category not just not just simply emotions am i hearing you right
5: well, uh, yeah, emotions—it's hard. Emotions are difficult to define. It's yeah. the, you know, it's one of those things that you know when you see it. But but the <laughs> but the truth of the way the brain works is that every single thing you interact with in the world, your experience of it inside your noggin comes through the limbic system. It's yeah. not. Yeah. It is not possible for you to see something in the world and immediately have that experience transmitted right into the front of your thinking brain. There is no pathway Mm. for that information to end up there. The only pathway is through your senses and your senses go through your limbic system and your limbic Mm -hmm. system includes all of those systems of your brain that do things like make you feel anxious or make you feel worried or make you break into a cold sweat or make you feel that weird gut sense that something isn't right here. That all happens first. Yes. And, and so that means that whatever you are holding in your thinking brain got there through your limbic system. And so- And so whatever you think about it, like you can think to yourself, I hold this particular piece of theology, like my, my doctrine of atonement. I hold that because I've spent hours reading scripture in the original languages and the church fathers. And I have all of the institutes on my bookshelf and I've done all the work to get that doctrine in my head. And I will tell you, brother, the reason that doctor doctrine is in your head and you're convinced that it's true is because of your limbic system.
4: (laughs) Yes. It, it this, resonates emotionally with you. There yes. is there yes.
5: is something in your story, our, something yeah. in your in your wiring that authenticates that information to you as true.
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is our prefrontal cortex creates stories to make to make our emotions coherent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so uh, have you have you read much Jonathan Haidt? Yeah. He, no. he wrote The Righteous Mind. No. Um he talks about he's got um the righteous mind is really good the happiness hypothesis really good book by jonathan Haid. And in the happiness hypothesis he talks about the limbic system prefrontal cortex as the elephant which is a limbic system and the writer uh-huh. and, and he talks about how uh, a lot of us uh, only focus on the writer uh-huh. but the elephant is like completely in charge right uh so he's describing the same dynamic you are
5: right and so in that metaphor in that season of my pastoral ministry the elephant was sort of barging around knocking into stuff and i was sitting on top feeling like i'm this is how ministry works i'm in control things are happening the right way i've headed off i've headed off some church splits i've dealt with some yeah. people who were divisive yeah. i'm doing it all within you know 75 yeah. hours and still have time for my wife it's all wonderful you know and and the elephant is breaking stuff Yes.
3: Yeah. 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 Uh, but you okay. have a story
4: about why that's okay or why I meant to do that. Right. You know, yeah. Like, yeah there's, totally. there's a, the writer is like telling
3: stories about like, well, here's why that happened. And here's well, why chose, for this. I chose that. Right. Yeah. yeah so, so that what's, so, so here's, what's emerging, Mark, as you talk sort of the, the thing that we maybe the predominant story about emotions. They're, they're silly. They're um, secondary to rationality. They get in the way They're to be overcome and someday you'll be enlightened and some sort of proto-quasi-Gnostic, you know, stoic kind of reality where they won't, you won't have to feel it all, right? Yeah. yeah. Then you've got, then you've got maybe the other ditch, which is the 1980s love song ditch, you know? Yeah. Like if it feels so right, how can it be wrong? Right. You know, let your heart be your guide, kind of like a Disney princess ethic. And I think uh, from our tradition that we come from, people are scared to death, of their emotions and um, quote, emotions taking over. Yeah. Do you hear
5: that too? Oh yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, you know, the most frequent criticism voiced about my book. You know, I, I say something in the book that every time I say it, particularly in live, you know, interactions where I'm speaking or whatever, I'll say, um, uh, the, your emotions, your emotions always tell you the truth, just not, Mm. just not the truth you think. And every time I say that, you know, it's, it's intentionally evocative. Someone, especially Christians are like, Whoa, no, 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 no. You're just giving Satan permission to tempt us. You're telling (laughs) us to listen to the evil demon on our shoulder that wants us to do bad things. And, and I get that criticism. um, But here's the thing. Um, Your emotions always tell you the truth in exactly the same way that the check engine light on the dashboard of your car always tells you the truth. Your check engine light has no agenda. It's not trying to manipulate you. It's not trying to lead you astray. It's saying, hey, there is something going on that you ought to take note of. Pay attention to this. And and possibly it's possible that it's a big enough deal that you might want to even adjust your course of action. Right. And, and so when I look at that check engine light, a lot of things happen for me. This is, I'm talking about my real check engine light. I'm not a car guy. I don't understand what's going on under the hood and (laughs) I don't like spending money on car stuff. And so when I see the check engine light immediately, I have an anxiety reaction that, that my car may in fact be seconds away from blowing up. I have no idea. How do we have such a dumb indicator, you know, (laughs) Like one, why can't it tell me
4: 25? Like why
5: can't it tell me real information? And <laughs> not only that, the only way I'm gonna find out is I have to go to a mechanic and pay him a lot of money to stick a device in my car that tells me what this means. And yeah. even if it's not a big deal, it's gonna be expensive. Ah mm-hmm. right. Yes. Yeah. And and so then I'll 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 do, you know, like, well, you know, maybe something happened, a hiccup in the motor. And when I get home, I'll let my car cool off. And tomorrow when I start it. Maybe the light will be gone.
3: Yes. (laughs) That's my, that's the way I handle it too. Hey, maybe if
5: I ignore this,
3: it'll go away. Right. My wife drives my wife crazy. Right.
5: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and so that clearly is not, if my car really has a serious problem, that's dangerous. Yes. And the other kind of cartoonish uh, way to respond is well, if I just put black duct tape over that light, then I never have to feel that discomfort ever.
4: Right. Mm. You know, nothing I'm, must be happening because right. I'm unaware of it. Yeah. Right.
5: Yeah. yeah, and so and so that that's kind of the way that I was relating to mm. my emotions. Mm. Uh but it doesn't change the fact that your engine is in crisis. And at some point you're going to throw a rod, something's going to happen, there's going to be a consequence of this. And so yeah. when I say to people your your emotions always tell you the truth, uh what I mean is this. The check engine light is telling you to pay attention to something. Yeah. Right? If you just heard Uh, some preacher say something that doctrinally doesn't sit with you and you felt anxiety rise within you, that means something. Query it, query it, ask yourself, why am I feeling anxious about this? Why am I feeling anxious about the thing that he said? Why am I, you know, uh, here's the, here's the, the classic criticism, right. That of this statement, someone will say, well, you, so you're saying that if I, I'm, I'm a guy and I, some lady in my office attracts me and I feel drawn to her. Uh, I should just pursue that even though I'm married and I'm like, (laughs) no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the fact that you feel attracted to her is important information about your inner life.
3: Yes. That
5: needs to be queried. Yeah. Mark,
3: what you're saying is, is that you're describing an experience that some of us have never had, which (laughs) is, being able to have an emotion without it having you. Yeah, right. Having some distance between my feeling and me. This was me as a young man. I I was a, I was an angry I was an angry elf, Mark. <laughs> and uh, I would get angry frequently and I had no awareness that my anger was something I was choosing to indulge. I had no awareness that the person who made me angry wasn't in control of my anger, Mm. you know, and I had no, I had no awareness that I could feel anger without expressing it. Yeah. Right. Right. Or acting on it. Yeah. I just, it didn't occur to me. And, but what you're describing is some, I don't know, the metaphor that keeps coming up to me is like having some distance or perspective. Right. Between you, Mark Shelsky Mm
1: -hmm.
3: and what I'm feeling.
5: Yeah, right. As Mark Shelsky. Right. How how do you develop that, man? Like it's a superpower. <laughs> well, it is so for me, uh, some people are more wired to be able to connect and understand what they're feeling. For me, it was a long journey of practice. Right. <laughs> uh in, <laughs> in some ways it's embarrassing to learn that character is just the result of habits built over time. Yes, and mm-hmm. so and so I spent, you know, 40 years practicing living this way. And so it took practicing uh a different way. And so for me, that required therapy and it required shelves of journals and it required mm-hmm. some close friends that were able to be let into this conversation mm-hmm. uh, so that I could see it. So I could practice it. Right. You know, when, when yeah. I had I I went to therapy to begin with because my marriage wasn't where I wanted to be. And I needed I wanted my wife to hear some things about how she could change some things that would make our marriage be where I wanted it to be. And (laughs) if we could go to a therapist, a therapist would give us some tools and practices that we could do. And by doing those things, we would fix the problem. So we started into therapy and it wasn't very many sessions before the therapist said, you know, Mark, how about we not have Christina come next time? What would that be like?
4: (laughs) (laughs) How will she get fixed? Right. 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 Right.
3: Right. I'll just take good notes
4: and read them (laughs) to her afterwards.
5: Right. Yeah. And, and that began us doing therapy separately. Okay. Uh, and then all of a sudden, um, there was no triangulation in the room. It was not possible oh, for me to bounce off of what was being said as being about the relationship or being about her. I and see. so then my therapist began to just tell me back stuff about me that I was saying, I would say stuff and she would say it back to me. And it was really painful to hear because I believed certain things about myself were true. And then when she said, well, this is what you just said and did, I could see that, that those things were not in alignment. Like what I um, believed about myself was objectively not true. Mm. and the things I believed about myself were central to my identity.
4: Yes, yeah yeah.
5: So now all of a sudden, what stuff is coming up? what does that mean and 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 mm. and, and for her to articulate for me that that thing you're feeling like right now. Like I just watched you pull your, your shoulders up to your ears. I just watched you do that. What's happening in your body. Why are you asking me this? You're not a physical therapist. No, just tell me, (laughs) just tell me like what's happening in your body right now. Why did you pull up your, your shoulders and, and be able to get to the point that there's a connection. Like I'm feeling discomfort that I want to avoid. I want to hide from, and that is manifesting in my body. There's a connection between these things, you know, learning that for instance, I have long thought that I had stomach issues. Um, I I was one of those guys that carried around a jug of aids in my briefcase and had a mm-hmm. box of it in my desk at my office, and regularly I would chew on these things. And I just thought, you know, it was just stomach issues. Well, I learned in therapy, guess what? Your stomach is telling you that you don't want to have this highly conflictful conversation that you're about to go into. And mm-hmm. and then I started to look back and see that consistently this was the case. Every single time I had to talk with a certain person, every single time it happened. And, and learning to pay attention to that, I started to see, wait a second, my stomach is actually an accurate prophet about- <laughs> about upcoming yeah. difficult conversations. How does how does that work, right? And yeah, so then yeah. all of a sudden I'm starting to learn about the connection between my body and my mind, which is something was completely disconnected. My growing up, my personality, my yeah. temperament, I was a brain on a stick, right? Yep. Couldn't mm-hmm. dance, wasn't, you know, didn't no, I was the last person to know when other people were having relational problems. I couldn't read the emotional tenor of the room I was in during meetings, and why would that matter anyway? We have an agenda to get through, for God's yeah, sake. Yeah, don't
3: waste don't waste time <laughs> like that.
5: <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, and so in my process of therapy, my therapist just began to get me to pay attention to this.
3: Yeah. So, so Ben, what are you hearing? Like, no. um, there's a lot. There's a lot there, Mark, really in your story we can mine out to transfer sort of this competency of developing what i think you would categorize as emotional health or emotional maturity yeah yeah right. yeah going from being emotionally uh obtuse perhaps <laughs> to an, to emotionally intelligent so ben mm-hmm. what are you noticing
4: yeah so um i mean going back to your metaphor of the the dashboard light on the car i think the fear that people have it's helpful to it's helpful to of assuage these fears right because the fear that people have is if you know you're telling me to, that my emotions are telling me the truth then i'm gonna, you know i'm going to go have this affair because i'm attracted to someone yeah mm-hmm. but that's the, that's like saying like oh i've got an i've got a dashboard light on my car that came on that means i should probably drive to idaho you know like it <laughs> right. just means like right. it, it, it does, it's a non sequitur it doesn't right. follow to to think that it, what it means is i should probably stop my car right i should probably look under the hood and I should find out what's going on. So the thing that I hear here that um, I think is so important for leaders to realize is that you might think you're a brain on the stick, like you thought, Mark. Like mm-hmm. a, You might think you're a brain on, the, on a stick and that you're not emotional, but you actually are. You're actually walking around emotionally reacting to everything in your life. Yeah. And you can't prevent that because that's what a human is. Correct. And so best to start paying attention to that mm. start to whatever it takes for you get access mm. to your inner life yes. find out what's going on yeah you know whatever that looks like for you for for me um i found journaling mm-hmm. to be so helpful and something you said i, I think uh struck a chord with me because i've always told people like i don't know I've, I've sort of talked about it as almost like it's magic Have You you tried journaling about that <laughs> like well it, you know, people are like well why would i journal about it i'm like I don't know, but I find it really helpful. It's almost like magic. Yeah. But, but I think what I, what I think what's happening when I journal, Mark, is that I'm getting access to my inner world. Like it's right there on the page. It's right. not just in my thoughts, you know. And I can get distracted by, oh, that's an interesting thing happening out there, or oh, I've always wanted to read this book, you know. Like I can get distracted, like up here in my mind. Yeah. But when I take the time to like put the things that are happening in my mind, and my heart. Mm-hmm on a page through a pen and I have to I have to write it longhand I can't yeah. be on my computer to do this um I, f- I think that's what's happening is I'm getting access to my internal world and it's concrete and I can see
5: it yeah that's it's on my a page that's my experience exactly Ben um, hmm. the way that I talk about it when I teach journaling is that it's very hard to evaluate an experience with the same brain that is having the experience oh
4: That's really good.
5: Yes. So journaling is not about writing something. Like a lot of people are intimidated because they feel like they're having to go back to school and write an essay. It's not about writing something. You don't have to use full sentences. You don't have to use sentences. Journaling is (laughs) simply pinning the butterfly, pinning the butterfly down. That's all that it is so that you can step back and look at the butterfly and say, yeah, "Yeah, in that moment, in that circumstance, on that day, I felt, said, did, did these things. Now, how would I, if, if you were sharing your experience with me, we've all had this experience, right. Where some Uh friend is relating to us, how they feel about something and we can Mm -hmm. very insightfully listen to them and give them feedback and even make, you know, Mm -hmm. reasonable and wise suggestions for course of action and not even get emotionally drawn into it. We can do that with other people. We can't do that with our own head. We cannot, right. Mm -hmm. Just, just because you think you can is a trick that your brain is playing on you. <laughs> you, right, right. you this is can't. why I don't
4: need a journal. Yeah.
5: You can't yeah. do it. So, yeah. so journaling is is one of the practices we use to pin the butterfly. And you can look in at it butterfly. and say, yeah. what, what is that about? Why did I react that way? Right. Because in, in the moment, in the moment, I my daughter is precisely like me temperamentally. Mm-hmm. And what that bears fruit in our relationship is a lot of conflict. Uh, because I, I can see the course of her life and I'm like, lady, if you would just listen to me, I could save you. I could save you so much trouble. And then I get upset yeah. that she's not right. right. And, yeah. and so what will happen in the moment when I overreact to her in the moment, as I'm evaluating that my brain will always justify why I'm right. Yes. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Right. It's about, yeah. it's diffusing the discomfort, Boy, you, mm. you really yelled inappropriately, Mark. Why did you do that? Well, here's all the reasons why my yelling inappropriately is justifiable and what she did and blah, 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 right? And in my I own brain. I drive a God Stratus. Right, right. <laughs> in my own brain, it makes sense because of course it makes sense. My brain is what is making sense of it, right? Yeah. But then to journal you, that experience yeah. and to look at it with some distance, that is yeah. when I can say, oh, my gosh, that wasn't even about her mm mm-hmm. right. right why right. why why would I put that burden on her of this thing that is about me? Mm. you know, now I have now I can attend to that differently.
3: Yeah, so what you're describing, Mark, is is not some kind of like um, psychological sort of so we have a replace sort of biblical gnosis with psychological gnosis. But one way to describe what you're doing is you are becoming more awake and aware to what's actually going on in reality.
5: I think yes. so. I think you're that's gr- it.
3: Yeah, you're waking up to what's actually happening rather than just being uh, drug along by whatever story your brain's telling you about what's happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and in doing that, then you're able to actually, you know, this is different than just give your feelings to God as though God is like, <laughs> as though God is actually the opiate, you know, that Karl Marx talked about. Like just... Just inject me with some good feelings so I don't have to feel right. this stuff. Right. But mm-hmm. rather, you are taking your feelings before the Lord. And I hear you doing something that we train leaders to do. And you're being, uh, we call it compassionately curious. Mm-hmm. Why does this make me so stinking angry? Right. Why am I losing my biscuit over this? What's at stake for me here? Right. What's, What's that threatened? State? What's threatened for me here? What am I afraid to lose? What do I think I'll get if I if this works? Yeah, and why do I need that so bad? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, and what what you describe in your book towards the end, you have the 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 five A's, right? Mm-hmm. The five A process. It is so stinking similar to what mm. we train people to do. We have six D's, you have five A's, <laughs> but it's it's the same process, Mark. And so I'm. Yeah. Anytime you meet somebody who agrees with you, <laughs> it just it confirms genius. your brilliance, right? Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right genius, yeah. Mark. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we just commend this book heartily, The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners that we haven't touched on that you think is important to leave us with?
5: Uh, <laughs> that's a big question. Yeah, uh, pressure, I know. Huh? Pressure-filled so, questions. so, so Don't for, blow this, Mark. Right, so for me... <laughs> For me, I'm in a place where um, emotional health and maturity is a central component of discipleship now yes, and the reason yes. the reason for that is that I have learned both through my own struggle crisis and study and through many years of pastoring and being being let into other people's stories is that every other component of our life, When we talk about discipleship and we talk about godly relationships or godly leadership or godly finances or your theology or whatever, every other component of your life is filtered through your limbic system. Mm -hmm. And so, if you can begin to develop the habits and tools that allow you to thoughtfully pay attention to what's happening in your inner life, every single Mm -hmm. other part of your life is going to improve. And so, it's not just, you know, my book is for people who are depressed and don't want to feel sad anymore right yeah. no no like all of us all of us yes. will grow in our walk as we attend to this part of who god made us to be this is not mm-hmm. a flaw yeah. it's mm-hmm. not a problem it's not a you know a, a, an indication of sin in your life emotions are part of how god designed you in fact i think that they may be and this sounds a little bit like heresy in our sort of postmodernist world they may be go. one of god's intended vehicles for communicating with you and for people Amen. like that's me, not
4: controversy at all for us. That's yeah, you excellent. know.
5: For me, the church I grew up in, that was God does not speak that way. Absolutely no. not. Yeah, you know. And, yeah. and so to cut off a whole vehicle. Of God's yeah. capacity to communicate with you and your capacity to be with God. And the idea that a relationship with God could be a real thing, not just code for a list of facts, I believe, about the universe. Yep. The fact that it could be a real evocative experience, that all comes from paying attention to your emotional world. Wow.
3: It's almost like, Mark, you're saying, tend to your heart for it is the wellspring of life. <laughs>
5: I yeah I can't cite those words as my own but it is almost like I'm saying that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, we take those are, it to those heart. That sound like wise words. <laughs> they Word. sound like wise whoever, words. Whoever
4: said that. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh Mark, thanks for being with us. It's so much fun to be with you. We feel like um one of the benefits of doing like so just just between uh the three of us, we do this podcast cuz we get to talk to like fun people that we would really like to hang out with, yeah. and and you're one of those people. Oh, yeah. um, so, uh, oh, before we go, I have a question. This is like overtime. We can cut this out <laughs> if we need to. Uh, so, when you just do this emotional health and discipleship uh, with in, in your church now, how do emotionally unhealthy people respond to that? So, for instance. People who are like super passive aggressive, yeah, or or sh- want to control people with like, um, um, like flattery, or uh, they always play the victim, right. and if you don't like fawn over them, they get offended.
5: How do those people respond? Yeah. Um, so, uh, my journey has corresponded with this long pastorate that I've talked about, and one of the incredible gifts of grace that I've been given is that the core group of this church chose to go through this process with me, even when I was a catastrophe. Um, I Mm. expected fully to be asked to step down from leadership. um, And that's not what happened. I was given sabbaticals. I was supported and encouraged in therapy. Mm. When I began Mm. to talk about these things from the front, people supported and encouraged that. And so the fruit of that was two things, which this will not be encouraging to pastors listening. The fruit of it was (laughs) that we as a church, as a church, got more emotionally aware and healthy, and Mm -hmm. we got a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. And and that happened because we began to have boundaries. We began to practice healthy emotional relationships. And the people you're talking about know that there is an infinite supply of churches where they can get away with their garbage. Yes. And so, the very first time I have a conversation with somebody, where they cross a boundary, and I'm able now to have a conversation with them where I don't feel like I have to make them happy. I'm able to say, "I hear you. I understand your concern. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Here's what we can do for you. If any of those options work, let me know." They're they're gone
4: mm-hmm. because that's not yes. what
5: they wanted. Right. And so, you the, stop
4: playing the game they they wanted to play.
5: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, the the yeah. sad part. Sad in some ways is that our church is way is way smaller than it used to be. But the Mm -hmm. fruit of that is people are really growing as human beings, not, not like growing in the sense that they attend church more frequently and do church things better. Like Mm -hmm, they are mm -hmm. becoming better humans. They are practicing the way of Jesus in their life. They are experiencing the fruit of the spirit in tangible ways that's happening. And before we had a great church. We did great programs, but I couldn't tell you if any of that was happening. It, it may be, it was happening in some people's lives, but I couldn't tell you because I was unconscious of it. I didn't have the mechanisms to seek it out and it wasn't a part of our conversation.
2: Mm.
4: Yeah. yeah, so it, it may have ha- it may have happened, but it would have been a random event, you know, of somebody's life, rather than something that could be attributed directly to the culture that you're cultivating. Yeah. as a yeah. church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful uh, man, beautiful fruit.
3: I'm, I'm glad I asked that OT question. <laughs> we probably uh, won't edit it out.
5: No, no. <laughs> oh my gosh, over time, <laughs> no, for me, it's,
3: it's in there now. Anyway, over, I was saying I was overtime. saying wonderful things about spending time with you, and the only reason we do this podcast is because <laughs> we're lonely. Uh, <laughs> No, Mark, it's been great to be with you. Again, the book is called The Wisdom of Your Heart. Um, how can people find you online if they want to hear more, learn more about you or
5: your church? Sure. Uh, everything that I do online, you can get to from my website. So markallenshelsky.com, and it's all, you can, all my social medias and everything, um, books and all that. Um, the Wisdom of Your Heart is the book we've talked about. Um, I took, The Wisdom of Your Heart is specifically targeted to people who grow up in church and have these church narrated stories about yeah. emotions. What yeah. we found was that the process of the five A's was really helpful for people that didn't share that background. And so we took that process and created a separate book called the Untangle Workbook that just walks you through how to sit with your emotions in these ways. And that product works for anybody from any background. It doesn't require being a Christian. It doesn't require wading through my theological craziness. It just is simply a tool that anybody can use. And then the other piece that's exciting is that one of the elders of my church, one of the friends I mentioned is a trauma therapist, and he's walked Mm. with me a long ways. And we were able to collaborate this last year to create a day-long training in this process. Mm. And Mm. we were planning to start doing it uh, and then oh, this no. crazy thing happened where none of us can leave yeah. our houses. So yeah, yeah. we put it online. And so that is available oh. online. The uh, Untangled uh, workshop, uh, Untangled course. Uh, and that's all available from my website. Great.
3: Bad news is you can't travel around and do the Untangled workshop. Good news is, uh, after this thing is over, you're going to have exponentially more people that need the Untangled I know! That's,
5: that's exactly <laughs> like, we are, we are in such deep emotional weeds right now. Oh, we are. Yeah. Uh, we're
3: all
4: right, we're Mark. having to face it whether we like it or not.
5: Yep.
3: Well, bl- yep. bless you, man. Uh, good, Good being with you today. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebbe, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.